You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. This week's reading is from uh, the book of John, chapter 17, verses 6 to 11. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us now, that you would take your words and and apply them to our lives by your spirit, that you would make this time a time of building us up in faith and hope and love. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, some some years ago, it was probably close to like 15 years ago now. It doesn't seem that long ago, but... um, some years ago, Leona Lewis, a music, kind of a pop artist, maybe people are not familiar with her, but she came out with a song called Happy. And the song kind of walks you through different obstacles to her achieving this happiness. And at a certain point in the song, she repeats this refrain about how it doesn't, she doesn't care how much pain it's going to cause. She just wants to be happy. I just want to be happy. And I thought, this song, this song names something about the human condition. This is what we want. We want to be happy. We just want to be a happy people. And there are various polls, maybe some of you have seen them, surveys out there on happiness. Um, And and these various polls have shown that when people look back on their lives, kind of towards the end of your life, and you look back at the different areas um, that that constitute your happiness, you know, uh, the the various areas of your life that that bring happiness, that have brought a sense of fulfillment in life, what they show is that it's not career success, it's not uh, how big your bank account is, it's not the kind of car you drive, but it's, it's the quality of your relationships. The quality of your relationships is, is a common theme in, these, you know, in what determines our happiness. Relationship, communion, fellowship with other human beings, being known and knowing. Being able to be vulnerable with another human being, these kinds of these relationships are the things that, that we reflect back on and that, that where we find our fulfillment, where we find something of our purpose. And the Bible says that this shouldn't surprise us because we're a people who were made from relationship and for relationship, that God is not um, this eternal monad, he's not this singular being, that's a, but, but that God himself exists in, communi- in a communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God himself exists eternally in relationship, 
And that then when he creates the world, when he forms human beings in his image, it's inevitable that human beings then are made for relationship, for this kind of unity, this oneness. And this is all taken up in this passage this morning, that relationship with God and with each other is basic, it's fundamental to human flourishing, to who we are, to finding happiness in this life. And in fact, Jesus holds these things closely together, that for him, to love God is to love our neighbor, that to love our neighbors is to love God. Uh, The way that Jesus puts it is the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is like it. It's as though he, he couldn't even separate these things. When somebody asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, and the second is like it. He had to, he had to throw this one in. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? That these two things, they go together. That Jesus says that this is the way to find fulfillment. Right? And it's the only way. And, and the only way to actually find this is to first know the love of God. Right? It's to first know God's love for us. And, and again, this is not some... It's not just like an extra principle that you can add on to your life. You know, that if you go away here and you say, okay, there's, you know, this new, new idea that we can try to go and practice. And maybe, maybe if we do this, then life will get a little bit better. Because to say that you were created for relationship, um, this names something that's basic about who we are. It's, it's to name reality as it is. And unless we actually conform our lives to this reality, to the way that God has made the world, well, we will be lost. And this, again, is all presupposed throughout Jesus' prayer that we've been walking through these last weeks. Uh, what's often referred to as the high priestly prayer. Jesus has come to the end of his ministry. Um, he's, he's going to die shortly, and he's lifting up his, his eyes to heaven, it says. And he's praying, uh, well, a number of things. Last week, again, for the glory of God. And this week, we find him focusing on his people, those who belong to him. And in this prayer... We find that the chief thing, the central thing that God is up to in our world, what's presupposed here, the main thing that God is up to, that God is doing in our world, in all of creation, is that he's gathering a people for himself. That God is committed to gathering people together, to be included in union with him, in communion with him. What God desires for us is to be in fellowship with him. Right, that, uh, that this is why God made the world. It's why he created humans in his image as something of counterparts to himself, people who, who could know him and relate to him and walk with him and, and be in fellowship with him. This is what God is up to. So that w- whatever else you think about God this morning, you know, h- however you think about him, whether you see him as a tyrant or as, or as a good friend or however, however you think about him, you should hear this and know this, that God is absolutely committed to knowing you and to being in fellowship with human beings that he's created for himself. Okay, that the great work of God that he's doing in history, through all time, around the globe, is forming and fashioning a people for himself, to be in communion with him, to love and respond to him in love, to engage as his own counterpart, made in his image, wooing a people, you might say, to be drawn into a loving relationship with him, that this is what God is doing. And it's what all creation is for, and it's what your life is for, But then, of course, we deny this. We deny this by our very lives, our lifestyle, our decisions. That though we know deep down that God has made us for himself, we know that we were made for communion with our maker. How could it be otherwise? How could it be otherwise? Other than being made for for relationship with the one who gives us life. But then, as the Bible says, we reject this knowledge. 
We reject our call to know and to love God. We want to be masters of our own fates. We want to do our own thing. We want to live in many ways as though God doesn't exist. We want to live life as we choose to live it, and so we go our own way. And God, we find in Jesus' prayer this morning, God is calling us back. He's inviting us back from our lives that tend toward rebellion and isolation, and he's inviting us back. Even through the suffering of our lives, he's inviting us back. Our sufferings, even, signal, at the very least, that all is not well in a world that's turned from God. And God is inviting us back to be restored to him and to each other. And in this way, he's calling us to pay attention, even to pay attention to the ruin of our lives, to the ruin of our world, and pay attention now to his invitation to call us back to union with him, to find rest, to find life in him. For all who are lost, for all who are tired, for all who are burdened this morning, for all who are broken and bruised by sojourning in life through life on this earth, God, we find here in Jesus' prayer, God is determined to bring you back to him, to make you his. And today's text, again, it, it presupposes this, that, that we're made to belong to God. And it centers us on this question, the text. How do you know? How does a person know if they belong to God? How, how does a person know? How do you know if you belong to this people whom God is gathering in to himself, to, to have fellowship with him? See, there are some we find in the Bible who resist being drawn in to God, who resist God's gathering them in. There are those, and, and you and I may be among them, who will not yield to God's will, who will refuse him, who will refuse God's call, who will persist in going our own way. We might even call ourselves Christians, and yet we persist in going our own way. And Jesus says in verse 9, I'm praying for them, those who believe. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. There are those who belong to God, we find in this text. There are those who don't belong to God, by implication. And then there are those who we'll later find out, as Jesus continues his prayer, who will one day belong to God. And in this portion of Jesus' prayer that we're focusing on this morning, the focus is on those who belong to God. And the question again that I want to ask, the question that I think this passage centers on is this. How do you know if you're his? How does one know? What are the marks of those who belong to God? What we'll see is first, those who belong to God receive the words of Jesus. And second, those who belong to God obey the words of Jesus. And then third, those who belong to God manifest the glory of Jesus. We'll take these in turn. First, those who belong to God receive the words of Jesus. What, what words, we might ask? Obviously, Jesus had shared many words with his disciples. So what words? Well, it seems that Jesus is saying here, all of them, all of his words, all the words that he had offered to his disciples, all the words of, of Christ that we find within the scriptures, within their own accounts, all of the words of Jesus. And we might say, by extension, the whole of the scriptures, right? all the words that Jesus affirms as his own, all the words that Jesus affirms as from God, that all the words that Jesus had shared are to be received by them. He says in verse 8, For I have given them the words that you gave me, 
and they have received them. And we might ask to this, really? Did Jesus' disciples really receive his words? What about the time where Jesus prophesied his own death and Peter rebuked Jesus? What about all the times where the disciples misunderstood Jesus' words, uh, misapplied them, got it wrong? Is this still a, a reception of his words? What about for us? It turns out here that to receive Jesus' words can include all of these things, right? that, that we too, we misunderstand. I misunderstand. We misapply. We, we, we don't get it right. And Jesus says of his followers, even of you and me, they have received my words. And this is good news for us. Uh, because, let's be clear, Christians are not those who always receive Jesus' words faithfully. We often get it wrong. We haven't often applied Jesus' words in the right way. We get it wrong. We're not those who have always understood how, how Jesus' words, what they mean for us. We get it wrong. But let's be clear about this also. That what we see in the lives of the disciples throughout the New Testament is a clear commitment to surrendering to the words of Jesus, to receiving Jesus' words as God's own words and living under them, not over them, not taking a position over the words of Jesus or the words of Scripture where we're looking over it in judgment of it, but those who stand under it and seek to understand it as those who receive Jesus' words as God's own words. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, Jesus prays, for I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them. And there may be somebody uh, here today, maybe, maybe many, many people, who are wrestling with the words of Jesus. Um, with what to do, what to make of the words of Jesus. You don't know what to make of them. You doubt his words. But still, you've received his words and are committed to receiving them. You're committed to standing under them and to receiving Jesus' words even as the word of God. And if that's you, if you're wrestling with this, I'd say there's, there's a word from Christ this morning. Take heart. Take heart. It's not in the strength of your belief that you've received these words. It's not in the strength of your understanding and comprehending all the things that God has said. But in the simple reception of Jesus' words as words that come from God. And this is what marks you out as his own. That you've recognized in the words of Jesus and in the words of Scripture, words that come from God. Second. Those who belong to God not only receive Jesus' words, but also obey the words of Jesus, or keep the words of Jesus, as it puts it here. I have manifested your name to the people, Jesus prays, whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your words. And again, it's a similar encouragement here. It's an encouraging thing to note that these same disciples, of whom Jesus says they have kept your word, are the same disciples who have failed to obey them, who have failed to uphold them, who have failed to recognize who Jesus is. And even at a certain point, coming to abandon Jesus, even at his point of need, even denying Jesus. So that to keep God's word here is evidently not about perfect obedience. But it's about a disposition. You might say it's about a disposition of the heart. An attitude toward Christ and his word. A direction of the heart. That those who have kept God's word are those who have recognized in Jesus' words, words 
that come from God, and we've responded in faith and obedience. What about you? Do you recognize in Jesus' words, words that come from God? Are Jesus' words prized and treasured by you as words that come from God, as words that reshape the way that we think about everything, reshape the way that we learn things, reshape the way that we think about whatever other professional advice is going to come to us in our world, and there's a lot of it, that the words of God, that the words of Jesus that he offers to us are words from God and words that can be trusted and held to. Do you believe this? I have manifested your name to the people, Jesus prays, whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So we found that those who belong to God receive the words of Jesus, that those who belong to God, they keep or they obey the words of Jesus. And in doing this, in being his, they manifest the glory of Jesus. That those who belong to God manifest the glory of Jesus. We see this in verse 10. All mine are yours, Jesus prays, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. For those who were with us last week, you'll remember that we found that Jesus is all about God's glory. Jesus is about the glory of the Father, and the Father is about the glory of the Son. And that we too are to be similarly about the glory of the Father uh, and the Son and the Spirit. That, that we're to be about a people who are about the glory of God, that we were made for God's glory. And then we found that one of the ways that God gets glory, one of the chief ways, maybe the chief way that God gets glory in his creation is by rescuing lost people. I mentioned the, the story of the, the prodigal son, right? the father's reception of the son home, the, the, the son who has walked away from God, who has rejected God, but then returns to God. It is the father's glory to receive the son and to bring him home. This is the way that, that God receives glory in the earth, is by receiving and restoring lost and broken people to himself. And here Jesus is making, again, uh, uh, explicit this same truth, that Jesus has determined to be glorified in you and in me, uh, that human creatures would somehow share in his glory, reflect the glory and the greatness of God in the world. All mine are yours, Jesus says, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, he continues, but they are in the world. I'm leaving, Jesus is saying. But you, my people, the church, will remain as the abiding glory of Christ in the world. The, the abiding glory of myself, Jesus says. His glory resides in the people of God, in his own. He leaves and the church remains. And the church is the place where God has promised to be glorified in the earth. Right? The, the, the image that's often used in the New Testament is that of a head and a body. The head, the head of this body reigns in heaven, but his body, the bodily presence of Christ, continues to reside in the church on earth. And this is, um, this is something. I mean, it's quite a claim, right, that we are the presence and glory of Christ in the earth, that Jesus is glorified in us, the church, we who, who let each other down, we who can be so judgmental, exclusive, cruel in our thoughts and our actions, we who can be so indifferent to the needs of those around us and the needs of the world. 
We who are selfish and struggle to see beyond our own needs. We who fall back into sin and patterns of sin time and time again. We who harbor resentment, envy, greed, pride. How can Jesus say of his people, of us, the church, that he is glorified in us? How can this be? Well, there's a sense in which he is glorified in us through our good works. That when the Spirit empowers us, that the Spirit often empowers us in very ordinary ways to love others, to receive others, to welcome others, to be kind, to be generous, to overlook offenses. This happens in the context of our life together. And these works certainly give glory to God. And there's a sense in which Jesus is glorified in our corporate worship together, that as we meet together and, and, and offer him worship and praise, when we look to him in faith together, that God is glorified in the church together. And, and yet, I believe that there's something more going on here in this passage when Jesus is saying that he's glorified in us who belong to him, that there's something more going on here, that Jesus' word of assurance, that he is glorified in us, goes beyond the sum total of all of our works, of all of our good works that we can offer, which, which again, do give him glory, but it's beyond that. That Jesus promised that he's glorified in his people is a stronger claim still, that it's not actually dependent on the sum total of all of our good deeds, okay? and that it's not dependent on us faithfully gathering to worship together, but that Jesus promised that he's glorified in us who are his has more to do, and I'd suggest everything to do, with the fact that we've been united with him. And he to us. That we are his and he is ours. That we belong to him. And that he's made us his own. That God has made us his possession. And has determined to make us his own. As his own children, sons and daughters. So that his face, really whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not, shines on us reflects through us, that his grace, whether we like it or not, is extended to us who are his. But time and time and time again, even as we, we can reject his ways, that God has promised himself to us, to be faithful to us, whether we like it or not, whether we foolishly hold out or not, whether we fail to receive it or not, he gives and he loves and he marks us out as his own in the world. Why? Why does God do this? Well, you who are parents, why do you, at the end of a day, when your kids have bothered, that's not a good expression, um, when, you, when your kids are just taking you to your end, okay, and you're just frustrated with them, and, and they, they've really um, tried your patience, let's put it that way, why is it that when you finally, they're finally down to sleep, you can go into their room, you can look at them with their eyes closed, and you see the, their back kind of going up and down, um, and you look on them, and despite, in spite of all, all of, all of the, the pain and anguish that they put you through in the day, you look on them, and you love them. You love them. You take great pleasure in them. They're your pride, they're your joy, still, even in spite of everything. Why is that? And I'd suggest the, the answer is something like this. Because they're yours. Because they're yours. What we find here is Jesus calling us his own. That God has determined to gather to himself a people. 
because we're his. And that though we run from him, though, though, we, though we reject him in any manner of ways, that we, we run from him, that he's absolutely determined to still persist in loving us and making us his own. I have manifested your name to the people, Jesus prays, whom you gave me. And they've kept your word, they have received your words, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Jesus, the eternal word of the Father, was sent into the world from the Father in order to seek and to save what was lost. People made for him. And he did it by giving us words from the Father, we find here. And ultimately by dying a death in our place and by being raised again for our salvations and so uniting a people to himself, for himself, for all of eternity. And Jesus prays for us. Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to get this inside account from Jesus, your son, who prays for us, your people. And who shows us in this prayer his deep commitment to us to making us his, a people who belong to him. Father, we ask that you would make us faithful responders to what you've done, that we would respond well, with love, with loyalty to you, in service of Christ as king. Help us to walk in faith and trust, and to give you glory in this world as you call us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.